0: Funding for this edition of Think Tank with Steve Adubato has been provided by Holy Name, New Jersey Sharing Network, NJ Best, New Jersey's 529 College Savings Plan, The Russell Berry Foundation, Making a Difference, New Brunswick Development Corporation, PSENG, Committed to Providing Safe, Reliable Energy, Now and in the Future. Operating Engineers, Local 825, the New Jersey Education Association, and by Eastern Atlantic State's Regional Council of Carpenters. Promotional support provided by CIANJ and Commerce Magazine, and by Insider NJ.
1: Hi, everyone. Steve Adubato. Uh, Yes, we are based in New Jersey, but what goes on in the country and the world matters to those of us in New Jersey and the region, and frankly, everyone watching right now. And we're joined by Dr. Joseph Huddleston, Associate Professor at the School of Diplomacy and International Relations at our higher ed partner at Seton Hall University. Doctor, good to see you. Good to be here. Thank you. So we're taping on October the 17th. The graphic will come up many times. Why? Because we're not the news, we are not here to talk about the current state of the conflict between Israel and Hamas. Um, But this is an ongoing issue, thousands of years, and God knows how long it is going to continue to go on. Let me ask you, at the core, for those who say, hey, wait a minute, Um, this is a horrible thing, obviously, a horrible event that happened, uh, the war that happened, the conflict, uh, the, the, the atrocities in Israel, the bombing that followed up Israel toward Hamas and the Gaza Strip. But beyond the day-to-day reporting on the conflict slash war, why is this situation so important to all of us?
2: The situation is important to everyone because it represents one of the sort of most intractable, ongoing human rights catastrophes that repeats itself over and over again. And we see that in both the victimization of Israeli civilians by the act of terrorism by Hamas, and, and then the, the bombardment of the Gaza Strip that follows that has killed just as many, if not more people at the time of this recording. And the fact that it, is, it still doesn't have a political solution means that we won't see an end to these kinds of outbursts until, until the parties at conflict find a political solution to it.
1: Is Hamas, in your view, as an expert on diplomacy and international relations, a terrorist organization.
2: Hamas is an organization that uses terrorism. Hamas. uh as are going to get into semantics. Here's the thing about the word terrorism: is that as a term, it has one meaning in the media, one meaning with sort of popular language, but in terms of analyzing dynamics in a conflict, it has a very specific meaning. Right? So terrorism as a tactic is common in many kinds of conflicts, especially when you have an organization fighting a, a state, right? Trying to sort of break away, make territorial claims, but it's a, very, it's a very common tactic. So I will leave it to policymakers to sort of define that, but I would, what I will say is that what we saw was an act of terrorism.
1: So, so, so those hundreds, thousands of young people, in their 20s, beyond, and some teens, who were at a concert. And again, we're not doing the news, but yeah. that is obviously a seminal event right? in this whole, c- most, the most current iteration of this conflict. That had nothing to do with policy. That had nothing to do with Israel's policies as it relates to uh, those in the Gaza Strip, did it? Because those were not policymakers, those were concertgoers.
2: goers. True. True. And, you know, it might be useful to just talk a little bit about why groups use terrorism. Very often, the point of terrorism uh, by a group like Hamas or the Islamic State or many other groups in conflicts around the world is to spoil peaceful processes that are ongoing. It is to provoke strong repressive reactions from a state against their own constituencies, right, right? And it is to try to rally support of a base, right? So they victimize innocent people in order to cause further victimization of more innocent people, right? That is, it's the sowing of fear to make it make everyone in a conflict like this feel like they have no choice but to turn to violence.
1: So I'm gonna ask in a moment about the history of Israel and Israel government and military policy. Policies, plural, as it relates to the Gaza Strip and Palestinians living in the Gaza Strip. But yes, if I were to say, because we've been debating if we were going to even put a graphic underneath this, you know, the Israeli blank conflict—is it the Israeli-Palestinian conflict? Is it the Israeli-Hamas conflict? Or is Palestine-Hamas and Hamas-Palestine? Please, Professor.
2: Absolutely. Very good question. Probably one of the most important questions in understanding this. Hamas cannot be taken to be equivalent to the Palestinian cause. In fact, the existence, the tactics used by Hamas is probably one of the most harmful things to the Palestinian cause that could be. And this is is a subject of much confusion for people on either side of sort of trying to understand this conflict. So I would say Israel's stated purpose is to eliminate Hamas they never say anything like that about the Palestinian people. Um, I'm not convinced that they want to take over the Gaza Strip. What they what they want is to uh, end an organization whose founding charter calls for their destruction. Right. So that is not what most Palestinians want. Right. Most people in both in both Palestine and Israel proper want a peaceful political solution to this decades long conflict. The problem is that you always in any political actor, any sort of group, you always have people who want to take a hard line, use violence, make no compromises, and people who want to use politics, peaceful negotiations, and and accept and even seek compromise, right? So what we have to look at is what does this moment, what does this horrendous act, who does it empower uh, in those societies, right? The problem is that with this kind of violence, it tends to make the hardliners in either side kind of gain more uh, relevance as a sort of spokesperson, right? So that's part of why we see violence escalate in a spiral.
1: You're talking about an extraordinary uh, kind of leadership, a very rare kind of leadership. That being said, please put in perspective, we're talking to Professor Dr. Joseph Huddleston, associate professor of the School of Diplomacy, and, in- Diplomacy excuse me, and International Relations at Seton Hall University, one of our long-time hired partners, um, put in perspective for us, Professor, the history of Israeli government-slash-military pos- policy as it relates to the Gaza Strip.
2: Do you mind if I go a little further back in history to kind of think about this? So we're, we're,
1: we're, I'm trying to learn along with everyone else, please
2: of course and it's it's a very confusing conflict um i think if i were going to make basically make two points for your viewers it would be the following you cannot understand this conflict without understanding the the origins of it in british colonialism right what you have when the when the british controlled that part of the levant they made a promise of of the what I'm sorry, the Levant, the area, that area on the uh, eastern bank of the Mediterranean. So, what is now Palestine? We'll just say that. When, when the, the British had something called the Palestinian Mandate, right? So, this was a, a type of colony. When? They, when this was this? Like? Was, this was in the early 1900s. The early 1900s, right? So, they made a promise to Jewish people all over Europe that they wanted to have a homeland for Jews there. Now. Jews being a stateless people for many centuries, being subject to persecution in many of the places they lived, said, "Okay, you're the you're the governing power there. Of course we'll go there if this is the if this is sort of what we're being offered, right? But in so doing as that migration happened, it forced the displacement of the people who lived there, right? The British the British colonial powers were also responsible. For some of that displacement, so what you have is a story of displacement
1: for both. Who was displaced? Were they Israelis? Were
2: they Palestinians? Who were they? Uh, Palestinians who lived in the in the state already were displaced from their homes. Many Palestinians were displaced from villages. You had an event in in um, <clears throat> in the nineteen forties when when Israel, oh, sorry, when Israel was properly recognized. You had a civil war that followed. Nineteen forty six. 1948 is when it became a state. So you had immediate conflict. Um, now, of course, uh, Israel is attacked at that time by the neighboring countries. It you know immediately sets off a conflict. And who is that? Who are the victims of this conflict? Both Israeli and Palestinian civilians at the time, right? So you, it's really a story of displacement for everyone involved, right? Which is why, including now
1: with Palestinians. Again, we are taping on the 17th of October. We don't know how this is going to play out, but what we see on the news, regardless of where you watch, is thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of Palestinians trying to move physically with babies. With We saw children uh, in, on ventilators in hospitals. They're supposed to move. Again, we don't know how that policy is going to play out, but it's constant displacement.
2: Constant displacement. That is the story. That is the history of this, of this place for 100 years. Jews displaced from villages they had in Europe, moving to Israel and displacing people there. It's it's a very complex dynamic.
1: Well, I mean, before I let you go, Doctor, uh, tough questions. You're talking about geopolitics and complex, long-standing yes. conflict and displacement. In one minute or less, could you bring it back to quote-unquote New Jersey? we have a very large Palestinian, very large Jewish population. Does it matter disproportionately in states like New Jersey with very large populations who have a real familiar uh, cultural, historical interest, please?
2: Of course it matters. I mean, what I always urge people is to check yourself and see the human suffering on every side of this conflict. It's always there. It is there for you to witness. You have to see that or else you ca- you cannot be open to the kinds of peaceful political solutions that are necessary to end a sort of repeating conflict like this.
1: You optimistic about anything positive coming out of the situation?
2: Currently, as we're taping, I'm not very optimistic because I see that uh, you know, as I told you a few minutes ago, the goals of terrorism, most of those goals have been met. Peaceful processes have been spoiled. A repressive reaction has been provoked. A base has been rallied. Right? The kinds of things that Hamas wanted out of an attack like this, it is getting. So that that's, does not make me optimistic. But as you said, good leadership always always has an opportunity to steer the ship in a new direction.
1: Professor, I want to thank you so much for joining us and let everyone watching know that this will be the first of what will likely be a series of conversations with people who understand the, the conflict between Israel and Hamas and some may argue Israel slash and Palestine. Not so black and white, but we'll continue those conversations. Professor, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Stay with us, we'll be right back.
0: To see more Think Tank with Steve Adubato programs and to listen to Think Tank with Steve Adubato, the podcast, visit us online at steveadubato.org. If you would like to express an opinion, Email us at info at caucusnj.org. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PhD. and follow us on X at Steve steveadubatto.
3: So you are breaking up with me?
0: Well, yeah.
4: Please do not tell me it is the policy puffin.
0: Actually, it's NJM.
4: Wow. They don't even have a mascot.
0: That's kind of the point.
4: Ouch. Well, I am not paying for
5: dinner.
0: Well, I'm saving money with NJM, so that's fine.
5: This year, upgrade to NJM and see how much you could save.
0: <laughs> no jingles
5: or mascots, just great insurance. NJM, get a quote today.
3: Hello, I'm Donald Payne Jr., congressman from New Jersey's 10th district. One organ and tissue donor can save as many as eight lives and improve the health of another additional seventy five people. That is why I encourage everyone to register as an organ donor. For more information about organ donation, please visit www.njsharingnetwork.org.
5: PSENG is building the utility of the future. A future where people use less energy and it's cleaner, safer, and delivered more reliably than ever. We are modernizing to lower emissions, support more renewables and electric vehicles, and reduce outages. And we are empowering our customers. At PSEG, we are powering progress.
0: Do you know someone who's done something extraordinary for others, whether a community service or an act of heroism? That person may be a candidate for the Raspberry Award for making a difference. Help us pay it forward by honoring New Jersey's unsung heroes in their efforts to make a difference in the lives of others.
1: Folks, this book by Rudy Giuliani has been uh, on our bedstand for a long time. Been marketing up for the last several months. Giuliani: The Rise and Tragic Fall of America's Mayor, written by an extraordinary journalist and uh, observer of the political scene, Andrew Kurtzman. Good to see you, my friend. Thanks for having me. Nice to see you, too. Um, we've known each other for a long time, and I've read your work, and we've been colleagues in a whole range of media situations. I am blown. I've been blown away by this book and mostly because I'm a student of leadership. So I'm going to start out with this. Um, I wrote a chapter in a previous book of mine about Rudy Giuliani post-9-11 as the quintessential leader in a crisis. Um, What the heck happened to that leader?
4: (laughs) Um, Well, you know, that's the reason I wrote the book,
1: right? Because I I
4: think, you know, when he reemerged as Donald Trump's lawyer, he was almost like a different person, right? And so that, that was kind of the genesis of my decision to write this, To kind of chart this remarkable rise and fall story, because I I think the Giuliani story is probably the most remarkable rise and fall um, episodes uh, in modern history. I mean, you're talking about someone who you know was arguably the most um, the most famous prosecutor in the 1980s, the most famous mayor in the 1990s, an international hero after 9/11. You know, fast forward to today, he's facing uh, jail time, and, and he's almost broke. I mean, it's an incredible
1: story, right? And this, to be clear, this particular charge, uh, Giuliani surrenders to Georgia authorities in 2020 election tampering rap. Um, I cut you off. I'm sorry, Andrew. Was Ju- I, there's a whole range of things I want to talk to you about, including January 6th, the speech, uh, sure. Trial by Combat. Talk about that in a second. Giuliani's obsession with the 2020 election being stolen and keeping, continually saying, I have evidence, we don't see the evidence. He understands evidence. He understands how to prosecute a case. He had, by any reasonable standard, according to dozens and dozens of court cases, with judges adjudicating it, many of whom were Trump appointees, that there was no case. Did he not know he didn't have a case? Or was he making it up?
4: There was There's testimony by uh, uh, the Speaker of um, of the House of one of the the contested states, who said that he spoke with Giuliani privately, who said uh, that we don't have any evidence. (laughs) Um, So he, uh, you know, there's a case to be made that he knew that uh, that what he was saying had no basis in fact, and he said it anyway, and it's gotten him into a lot of trouble, including a, a defamation suit by two. Uh, Georgia election workers whose reputation he completely destroyed. A
1: mother and a daughter, an African American mother and a daughter who worked the polls, and right. he accused them of what Andrew, which they were not guilty of in any that, way.
4: Well, he accused them of uh, stuffing, you know, fake ballots. And there was this quote where he saw on this videotape them exchanging a uh, a thumb drive like like vials of cocaine. It was just absolutely ludicrous, and and you know may turn out to be defamatory in in the eyes of a of
1: a jury. So I want to be clear on this, and we don't care whether you like Trump, don't like Trump, like Biden. It's irrelevant. We're talking about facts. We're trying to make sense of things. Right. And denying an election and uh, stopping the peaceful transition of presidential power is huge. These are constitutional issues right. of democracy, which is why the graphic democracy in danger is coming up as we speak. Did Rudy Giuliani help put our representative democracy, in your view, Andrew Kurtzman, in serious danger, please?
4: Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, you're talking about someone who, who was once legendary for his incorruptibility, right, for his morality. He was kind of, as a prosecutor, he was kind of the morality cop in the 1980s against the mafia on Wall Street and That's right. political corruption, right, at City Hall. You know, fast forward, and there was this kind of reckless disregard for the truth, all in service of Donald Trump. Why? And Donald Trump, because but, Donald but, Trump, yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Why? Well, let me take a step back, if I can. Sure. So, I think you you started uh, by asking me, like, what happened to Giuliani, right? And I think that plays into the situation, which is that... the book. Go ahead. <laughs> well, let me try to give you the clip notes here, which sure. is, I, I think if you had a... Sum it all up in one word it's desperation right desperation kind of on the way up right to succeed as a U.S attorney as a mayor you know as you know a, a, a to succeed at all costs right and is um, enormously talented brilliant right made a brilliant prosecutor, a brilliant mayor you know very flawed, arguably racist but in terms of uh, effectiveness enormously effective. I think the pivot point of the Giuliani story are, A, 9-11, right, where he kind of reached the height of his popularity, uh, and we could talk about that. I was with him on 9-11, and I charted, you know, every minute of his uh, of his morning um, that made him an international hero. So that's one pivot point, right, which was the fame he gathered on 9-11, and then what he did with it after, where he cashed in, made made uh, tens of millions of dollars. Um, and then the other pivot point is the 2008 presidential race. So he runs for president, trying to capitalize on all this fame, and he crashes and burns. It's, it's, he loses out the Republican primaries in 2008, and has to lead the contest with
1: one delegate to his name. And suddenly, Why did he fail? Why did he, uh, Seven years after 9-11, Right. what? Why didn't he connect in the Republican primary? So I think he only ran in Florida, if I'm not mistaken. And that was it. It was right. over. that's right.
4: Um well, the, there are a couple of reasons. Number one is it was just a total mismatch, right? He was a, he was pro-choice, pro-gay right in a Republican primary. And, you know, no no Republican candidate has ever been nominated who was uh, pro-choice and pro-gay right. And, you know, he felt that the laws of political gravity didn't pertain to him because he was Rudy Giuliani, the hero of nine eleven, and and, you know, that would kind of overcome everything because he was kind of, you know, this legendary figure. Um, well, that didn't fly. And the other thing was by the time he ran in 2008, terrorism had kind of receded from the top of Americans' agenda. So he would go to the, you know, the cornfields of, you know, Iowa, or and uh, talk about the threat to, you know, of terrorism. And, you know, these are like small towns where no one was didn't worried resonate. that didn't resonate at all. So he was kind of out of step. And the other thing, it was just a disastrous campaign. His uh, wife, uh, then-wife Judith Giuliani, was the subject of unflattering tabloid headlines. There was all these kind of embarrassing sideshows, which caused him
5: a lot of problems.
1: Fast forward. Again, we're part of a public broadcasting community, and we don't engage in salacious uh, rumors and talk that are personal in nature in the eyes of some. But there has been testimony, people sworn under oath, who talked about election night, Rudy Giuliani um, drinking, potentially drinking heavily, and telling then President Trump, 2020, quote, "Just say you won." That's right. That's so, right. Is the issue of of Rudy Giuliani and alcohol irresponsible for me to bring up right now?
4: No, I think it's it's intrinsic to the Giuliani story. Um, after he flamed out in 2008, he started drinking. Um, there was this kind of, um, you know, desperate effort to reclaim the relevance and the glory he once had uh, as the hero of 9/11 and he was really kind of cast out in the wilderness until Donald Trump came along, right? And they kind of needed each other in 2016. Did Trump respect Rudy? Yes, very much, very much. You know, Giuliani was kind of, I would say in in some ways, Trump's role model, right, for the presidency, because he had watched the Giuliani mayoralty in real time. And, you know, Trump was not a kind of political animal, right, he was a developer but it was Giuliani who made such an impression upon him that the White House aides I spoke with used to say that Trump would talk about Giuliani with a reverence that he would reserve reserve to almost no one else. So, um, you know, you're talking about this incredibly tight bond. Trump was Giuliani's ticket back to relevance, right? He brought him back to Washington, right? He made him his chief, you know, his lawyer. He made him the head of the... Um, the effort to uh, turn around the election results, right? right? Trump was his meal ticket. And so, you know, um, Giuliani was basically desperate to win this thing at all costs. And meanwhile, he has a drinking problem. And so all of Trump's advisors are just absolutely panicked that they're trying to make a a case that the election, that there was fraud in the election by kind of more um, conventional means. And there's Giuliani just saying, "Well, just just claim we won, right? Just claim you won." Andrew, and
1: the I'm drink- sorry for interrupting. Was- I'm interested. Chris Christie, uh, bring it back. We're a New Jersey-based operation, right. as you all well know. Chris Christie, who had known Rudy for years, how was Christie? How how was Christie? What was Christie telling Trump when Giuliani's telling Trump, "Just say you won"? I think that um, Christie played kind of both
4: sides of the fence <laughs> throughout that throughout that election. Right. On one hand, he was kind of coaching uh, uh, Trump during the, the debate and trying to, uh, you know, kind of um, play, a, play the hero, the, the key role. And then when things kind of got too hot, he kind of, you know, kind of played the, you know, the, the, the other side of this thing. So I don't know that Christie was,
1: played any kind of heroic role one way or another. Uh, this is Andrew Kurtzman. The book is Giuliani, The Rise and Tragic Fall of America's Mayor. Andrew Kurtzman, um, a terrific journalist and a longtime political observer. Um, thank you so much, Andrew. We appreciate it. Thank you. You got it. Uh, folks, I'm Steve Autobado. That's Andrew Kurtzman. Read his book. We'll see you next time.
0: Think Tank with Steve Autobado has been a production of the Caucus Educational Corporation. Funding has been provided by Holy Name, New Jersey Sharing Network, NJ Best, New Jersey's 529 College Savings Plan, the Russell Berry Foundation. New Brunswick Development Corporation, PSENG, Operating Engineers Local 825, The New Jersey Education Association, and by Eastern Atlantic States Regional Council of Carpenters, promotional support provided by CIANJ and Commerce Magazine, and by Insider NJ.
3: So
4: you are breaking up with Bay.
0: Well, yeah.
4: Please do not tell me it is the policy puffin.
0: Actually, it's NJM.
4: Wow, they don't even have a mascot.
0: That's kind of the point.
4: Ouch. Well, I
5: am not paying for dinner.
0: Well, I'm saving money with NJM, so that's fine.
5: This year, upgrade to NJM and see how much you could save. (laughs) No jingles or mascots, just great insurance. NJM, get a quote today.
3: Hello, I'm Donald Payne Jr., congressman from New Jersey's 10th District. One organ and tissue donor and save as many as eight lives and improve the health of another additional 75 people. That is why I encourage everyone to register as an organ donor. For more information about organ donation, please visit www.njsharingnetwork.org.
5: PSENG is building the utility of the future a future where people use less energy. And it's cleaner, safer, and delivered more reliably than ever. We are modernizing to lower emissions, support more renewables and electric vehicles, and reduce outages. And we are empowering our customers. At PSEG, we are powering progress.
0: Do you know someone who's done something extraordinary for others, whether a community service or an act of heroism? That person may be a candidate for the Raspberry Award for Making a Difference. Help us pay it forward by honoring New Jersey's unsung heroes in their efforts to make a difference in the lives of others.